Why don't we go ahead and uh, I want you to turn over because we're going to start a new series today called He Is. And let's start off in the book of Luke today. And, and let's just sort of maybe cover over the next several weeks leading up to Christmas some stories surrounding the birth of Christ. Um, the story we're going to look at today isn't necessarily about the birth of Christ, but it's a story that happens before the birth of Christ. Um, and I didn't bring this with me, but uh, I want to make, make known to you a, a resource. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, we may have a copy of it. There may be a picture behind me, but it's a great resource for reading some of the stories in the scriptures um, from a storybook form. And a lady by the name of Sally, uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones wrote this book. And let me just read for you what she had to say up front in the introduction of this book. I think it's pretty interesting. This is what she said. The Jesus Storybook Bible tells that the story beneath all the stories in the Bible, from Noah to Moses to the great King David, every story points to a child, the one upon whom everything would depend. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. Because the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes, the Bible is most of all a story. And then listen to what she says. And at the center of that story is a baby. And every single story in the Bible whispers his name. In other words, what she's saying is that from the beginning of the ending of the scriptures, the Bible teaches us about Jesus and who he is. And that's what we're, that's sort of the focus, our title for our series over the next several weeks as we lead up to Christmas. And so with those Thoughts, I want you to turn to the book of Luke and let's begin in chapter, uh, chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 5 as we begin reading here in just a second. But the book of Luke was written by whom? By a guy by the name of Luke. The Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians identified Luke as a physician. Luke himself identified uh, himself as a historian. And he went on to say that up front in his writings, he went to great lengths to make sure that everything that he had provided, every word that he had written, every detail that he had documented was actual and there were eyewitnesses and it was correct and could be trusted. That's what Luke had to say. And while you're turning there, I want you to keep in mind this thought as we begin today. There had been a period leading up to this time in which Luke is going to be telling us, there had been a period of 400 years of silence. 400 years since prophecy had been given back in the book of Malachi where there had been nothing but silence and the promise of a coming Messiah that had been prophesied more than anything was distant if anything else. Now to sort of put that in perspective of you for you 400 years I want you to think about that in terms of the United States and North America. You remember what happened 400 years ago? Pilgrims, First Thanksgiving, Jamestown, that's a long time ago. And yet during all of those years of silence, the couple that we're going to talk about today remained faithful to what the scriptures had to say and the promises that God had made. And during that period of silence, there, were, there was just a few Jewish people who held on patiently waiting for the coming Messiah. And during that time, there were lots of people in the midst of the anticipation. There were lots of people that fell away. 
There were lots of people that walked away from their faith because of persecution or suffering or because of the silence. Many of them abandoned their faith, as a matter of fact. Some even became, uh, came to the place of saying it's nothing more than a myth. But the couple that we're going to talk about, Zachariah and Elizabeth, held on, and they were faithful. And I want to introduce you to them today. With that being said, Luke chapter 1, verse 5, and before we start, man, I want to pray for you because I promise there are lots of little pieces in here that probably will apply to many of us in this room. Something that you can pull out of here that the Holy Spirit will just speak loud and proud, man, to you this morning if you're willing just to listen to what God has to say. So I want to just pray for us very briefly before we start our time together. Father, I, I just pray, my prayer is that as we read the words of God, it would be the Holy Spirit that penetrates our hearts today. We need to hear your voice. Father, most importantly, Father, our hearts need to identify and, and accept and receive what you're wanting to, to, for us to hear today. Would the word of God be spoken very clearly? Father, may, may the, the Holy Spirit speak to the innermost parts of our hearts today. And may we hear your voice. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, you ready? Luke chapter 1. Some of you are going, ah, I don't need to hear this. I've read this before. I've read it before too. And every time I read it, I get something out of it. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Here we go. You ready? When Herod was king of Judea, this is the same Herod that had the babies killed in, in Bethlehem, in and around Bethlehem during the time of Jesus. Okay? So just sort of keep that in mind. There was a Jewish priest by the name of Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. So both of them came from a long line of religious leaders. Keep that in mind. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. They were not righteous because of their heritage. They were not righteous because of the positions that they held. But look at what he says. He said they were righteous in God's eyes, and they were careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and the regulations. And so... He, here it is, they're telling, Luke is sharing a testimony about Zechariah and Elizabeth's life, and he's saying, let me, let me tell you something. These aren't people that just went to church on Sunday morning. These aren't people that just were this way over here and this way over here. These people were righteous. They were careful to obey the commandments of the Lord. They were who they were, where they were in front of somebody or where they were behind the scenes. Where they were out in the fields, whether they were in the workplace, these people were the real deal. And in verse 7 he says, they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So here they are, have, having been faithful for so many years, and Luke gives a detail that's really important. They're older in age, they've been faithful, and yet they have no children. And in that culture, no children would have meant a disgrace. No children would have meant, okay, listen, what have you guys done wrong that God has cursed you? To have had no children would have meant, okay, what have you done that's been, where have you been disobedient in your life? But their faithfulness went to God went all the way back to some promises that Abraham had made 2,000 years ago. And in, the fact, in spite of the fact that she was barren, in spite of the fact that they weren't parents, they held on to some promises that were made to Abraham from God. That promise back in Genesis chapter, one, chapter 12, verse 2, that I will make you into a great nation is what the Lord said to Abraham, and I will bless you, and I will make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others, and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. 
And here it is, Zachariah and Elizabeth, having grown up, having heard those stories, been repeated in their family many times. Here is, a, here is Zachariah marrying this young girl by the name of Elizabeth, and they would both serve God faithfully. But I have to believe that somewhere along the line in that journey, in the dealing with infertility that Zachariah and Elizabeth had to question God. I mean, don't you think so? Don't you, don't you think that they had those moments that they were sort of on the side and with things going on in their lives, they would sort of say, okay, why is this happening to us? We're trying to be so faithful. Have you ever said that before? God, I'm trying to be so faithful to you, but why in the world, if I being so faithful and why, are, why am I walking through this time of difficulty? Why am I suffering so? And man, this story is so applicable for every one of us because at some point in time in your life, you will question God. You'll question him. You'll question not only God, you'll question, his, uh, you'll, you'll question what's going on in your life, and you'll question whether or not God is even there. You'll question that time, and, and you may even come to the point that you're just ready to throw in the towel, or just quit, or to walk away. But this is one of the things that you're going to learn today. In just a few minutes, you're going to see that God is always on time. He's never late. The story goes on, and this is where we pick it up in verse 8. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week, as was the custom of the priest, and he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn incense. Now, the fact that he was chosen was a big deal. The fact that he was chosen by lot, it's like, you know, whether it's drawing of straws or some of the other things that people would say, oh, that's just luck. No, no, it wasn't just luck to them. They believed that God was involved in this process, and it was very, very significant. It wasn't just like the flipping of a coin, but they believed that, man, listen, God was involved in this. And so he was chosen out of, I don't know, 18,000. There was a group of them, an order, and there were so many within that group. And so within that group, he was one of the ones that was chosen that day to go into the temple and to burn incense. And this is what it says in verse 10. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense Altar. Brian and I were talking about this this past week. I wonder where Luke got these details from. I wonder if it was from Zachariah himself. And he goes on to say, the Lord, the angel of the Lord shows up. And in verse 12, it says, Zachariah was shaken and he was overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Maybe you should say, scared to death. Oh my. But the angel said, don't be afraid. That's a good thing to go back and look. How many times did the angel Gabriel show up? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your pray prayers. And at this point in the conversation, it would be, it would be easy to miss that Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying for a long time. They were old. Many years they had prayed that God would bless them with children. But instead of walking away, they continued to pray and be faithful and the angel says to him, Zachariah, God has heard your prayers. I mean, you would think he would go, woo, man, I knew this was going to happen, but that's not what took place. I mean, he begins to shake and he begins to shudder. And I want you to listen to what the angel goes on to say to him. And you might want to underline all of those he wills as he references John. He says, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. Underline that. That's really important because the angel tells him what he should do. 
You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn away many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit of the power of Elijah. That's another thing to to make sure that you underline. This is important. And he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So here's Luke, the physician, who's really a historian. And he gives us some pretty important details inside of inside of this writing. And he writes in there some phrases or some statements to sort of remind the people to sort of catch their attention because there were some things that were really important in here when he spoke those words that would mean something to them. Like he said, the days of Herod. I mean, he could have just said, well, in, you know, in, in the year, on this day, but that's not what he said. He said, in the days of Herod. And I have to, to think that during when he said the days of Herod, people would say, Oh my goodness, in those days of suffering, in those days of oppression, during that time when times were difficult, which we may have reminded them back to the suffering of the Israelite people being in their bondage and with Pharaoh, would prompted them to remind them that God had freed them from slavery, just like he said he would. And then he wrote in some of the details like Zechariah was a priest, or that Elizabeth had come from the line of Aaron. It'd be like me saying to you, my name is Sidney, my dad's name is Shep, my grandfather's name is Vernon. My great-grandfather's name was Floyd. And it would have let you know just a little bit from, from where I'm coming from, my heritage. And Luke mentions that, that line of Aaron, it would have prompted them to think about maybe the tribes of Israel and all that God had done to Aaron and Moses and Jacob, reminding them that God had not only freed them but brought them out of slavery and into the, from the wilderness and into the promised land. Or when he said that Elizabeth was barren and that she was old. <laughs> Man, did this happen before? Yeah, Abraham and Sarah. If you're walking through the gospel project, you've seen were Isaac and Rebekah. And now it's not something that's unusual. The promise that God had made Abraham that he would become a father of many nations. Listen, God saw it through because Abraham and Sarah would have a child later on in life. And his name would be what? Isaac. It would have reminded them, every one of the Old Testament prophecies, that going all the way back, that that, um, that we find that God would be faithful. And he again records and he repeats what Malachi had to say in the book of Malachi that, that was written 400 years prior. And this is what he said. He said, look, I'm sending to you a prophet, Elijah, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, before he arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. If you remember in the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah was a very prominent prophet. He called upon the name of the Lord who came down, and, and there was a challenge that he offered to the, to the prophets of Baal. And man, listen, God just come and wiped it all out. He was a very powerful prophet. God's a promise keeper. He's a promise keeper. And here it was where, where Luke is writing. He said, listen, there's going to be a young man, and he's going to come with the power of Elijah. And this is who your son is going to be. And I want you to understand that. And so here it is, a fulfillment of what God had said, that the promises and the prophecies of God that he had made, that God is a promise keeper. 
And then this is what the angel is telling him. God just, just doesn't make a promise, but he keeps them. I mean, how many of you have made promises before and you've not kept them? How many of you have said, well, I just changed my mind? It doesn't take very long for you to change your mind a few times, that after a while, the people that you make the promises to, what do they do? I don't trust you anymore. And here it is, the angel saying, man, listen, everything that God said he's going to do, he's going to do it. God's a promise keeper. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. How many of us are good at making promises, but we struggle with keeping them, but not our heavenly Father? With all the promises that have been made, the scripture, what the scripture has to say, he's kept them all. When I stand before people and I preside over weddings, there's that opportunity for people to, to declare their love and a commitment to one another. And they'll repeat these vows and these declarations and they'll say something along the lines, and uh, I promise to honor and cherish in sickness and health till death do part. And yet how many times do we, do we blow it? I love it what the Apostle Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. These are the words of Paul as he writes. He said in verse 20, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to glory, ascends to God for his glory. What God has promised, he fulfilled it all through Jesus Christ. He is a promise keeper. And why is, the, why is that so important to us? The bottom line is this, is God is not only sovereign, not only is God sovereign, but God can be trusted in anything that you're walking through. He has proved it through his son, Jesus Christ. There's some of you, man, that are here today, you're wondering, man, can God be trusted in the midst of this that I'm walking through? There's no way God could see me through this. There's no way. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. And he's saying, oh, yeah, yeah, there is, because God's already fulfilled it through his son, Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that you may be facing, whatever question you may have, whatever fears, go to Jesus. Every promise that God has made has been fulfilled through his son, Jesus Christ, and our heavenly father can be trusted. And so as we're preparing for Christmas and we're putting up the Christmas tree, who still didn't have the Christmas tree put up? Shame on you people. Y'all are like waiting for that last minute, right? That last minute. Whew. Some people have had their Christmas tree up since Labor Day. Some people don't even take their Christmas tree down. I heard somebody talking the other day about just taking their Christmas tree up and putting it in a closet. And then all they do is just take it out and turn the lights on. I wish I had a closet like that. But anyway. And there's just some of us that wonder why in the world can God be trusted? And as we're preparing for Christmas and we're putting up the lights and the, and the, and the decoration of all that goes and buying of all the presents and we are preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Listen, man, just don't go through the exercises of celebrating the birth of Jesus and miss out on the fact that God is a promise keeper. Don't get caught up in all the religious exercises or the exercises of tradition and miss out on the fact the reason that we celebrate Christmas is because, listen, our Heavenly Father is a promise keeper, that what He said that He would do, He would do it. Let's go back to the book of Luke. Here you would think that after that encounter the angel of, with the angel that Zechariah um, would have been good to go. But look at what Zechariah says. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure that this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is all, 
also well along in years. And I'm like, man, you got to be kidding me. Here's an angel come to you. He's already proclaimed to you what's going to take place. And you're sitting back and saying, you've been praying for this. And now you're questioning? I don't understand it. And we can ridicule Zechariah, but how many times do we do the exact same thing in our lives? We might not have had an encounter with an angel. But man, listen, we've got the Word of God that we have access to every day to be able to sit down and to hear God's Word. And the angel says, man, listen, get, I want you to get ready, Zach. Man, some good news is going to happen. And God has heard your prayers. Get the baby room ready. Start putting up the decorations. Man, are you sure? Are you sure? Because listen, I don't want to get my hopes up. See, we've gotten our hopes up before for things not to go the way that we thought that they would go. I mean, don't get me wrong. I hear what you're saying, but what you're telling me is, and it's, it's almost to the place of being impossible. Impossible. And look at how the angel responds to him. <laughs> Listen, bro, I don't know who you think you're talking to. That's in my terms. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. And don't you know who I am? I stand in the very presence of God. And it was he who sent me to bring you this good news. I think answered prayer is pretty good news, don't you? But it, wasn't, it wouldn't be that long after this encounter that, that this angel would also appear to a young lady by the name of, yeah. And he would tell her that, that she would give birth to a son and he would be called Jesus. And it goes on in verse 20. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at a proper time. At a proper time. Meanwhile, in other words, back at the ranch, people were waiting for Zachariah to come out. Can you imagine? Here's Zachariah is going, okay, man, we got to get to lunch. How long is this guy going to take? I mean, can't, don't you think he can hurry up and make his way on out here? Larry, you laughing at me. <laughs> it said people are waiting for Zachariah to come out of the sanctuary, and all of a sudden, man, it's like they begin, okay, man, what's going on behind in there? Something's going on. Something's not right. When he finally came out, he couldn't speak to them. And then they realized from his gestures, whatever it was that he was doing, he said, man, he, he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. Zachariah's week of service. Now, so we go from there to when his week of service was over. So they've been watching Zechariah the whole time. It said when, his, when the week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. So Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, shows up and said, man, look, you prayed for a child, your prayers have been answered, he's on the way. But when he doubted, it was like, look, man, get over there in the corner. What are you doing? Go to timeout. I didn't have timeout growing up. I didn't know what timeout was. How many of you had timeout growing up? I promise you, you're probably not 50 and above. <laughs> That's some kind of new thing. I don't know anything about timeout. I guess it works, but man, listen, it was all about intense fellowship in my home, okay? <laughs> if Steve, Steve Whitaker were here, he, he's on a mission today, but if, if, he wasn't, if he was here, he'd stand up and say, amen, brother, I understand. It was about the intense fellowship. But here it's like they say, okay, you go to your room, you stand in your corner, you shut the door, be quiet, and I want you to think about what just took place. And here he is, he's, 
He's in his room man, with the door. The door shut. He's closed. And he's trying to think. Okay, okay. Let me think about this one more time. He can't speak. He can't speak. He's probably recording, going through all these things that had happened, all these things that he had seen, and trying to put the pieces together. And Luke goes on to say, man, it wasn't soon afterwards that his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. God knew. God knew the barren, the barrenness. He knew the humility. He knew the shame. He knew the suffering that she had endured, that they had endured as a result of her barrenness. And the Lord saw her situation and knew there wasn't anything that she could do to change the circumstances that she found herself in. Not a thing. And yet God did something for her that she couldn't do for herself. Think about that. God shows up. And he does something for her that she can't do for herself. It's called grace. It's called God's grace. Elizabeth goes on to say, He has taken away my disgrace or my reproach or my shame of having no children. God did something for her that she couldn't do for herself. She had tried. Listen, they had tried. But God knew at the right time exactly what was going to happen. God took away her disgrace and shame by giving her grace. God did something that Elizabeth couldn't do anything about. I want you to think about this with me for a second. I don't want to chase any rabbits. But I want you to think about this and consider it. Let me give you a word. and Write this down. Propitiation. It's a big religious word. Propitiation. It means a payback that's satisfied, a payment that satisfies. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 in the ESV, uh, in, in the English Standard Version, we see it written this way, and, um, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins, to be a payment that satisfies. He satisfied a payment that was due for our sins. For the wages of sin is what? It's death. It's separation. God did something for us through his son Jesus that we could not do ourselves. And when Elizabeth says, listen, he's taken away my disgrace and my reproach, she's echoing the words from the book of Leviticus in chapter 16 where it talks to us about the day of atonement. And the priest would go in and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people for that one day that would cover the sins. And there would be two goats that they would choose. And one of those goats they would sacrifice on the altar. And the blood would be shed so that it would, be, it would cover the sins of the people. But there was another goat that was called the scapegoat. And they would, they would confess the sins of the people. And they would lay his hands. And they would send that other goat outside the, the city walls into the wilderness. And it was a symbol. A symbol. A symbol that God had taken away their sins. And today as believers, it's a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. So God was not only just forgiving her sins, but he was removing them. And it would be John, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, that upon seeing Jesus, that upon seeing Jesus for the first time, he would declare this in 1 John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 29, that seeing Jesus coming towards him, he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when Jesus went to the cross, he, pour, he bore the penalty of our sin upon himself, and his blood was shed once and for all. That he became the Lamb of God. Enough was enough. 
A sacrifice was needed and God loved us. And he provided a payment for our sins. Look with me back over at page, at verse 57. And let's see how Zachariah and Elizabeth responded. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, that was by custom, they all came for circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah. And remember that. What was it that the angel told him that he would be named? John. They all wanted to name him Zechariah. Why name him Zechariah? We'll talk about that. But Elizabeth said, no, his name must be John. What? <laughs> you can imagine all the ladies around there. What? you got to be kidding me. I mean, you've waited so long for a son. You've got to have a son to carry on your namesake. Whose namesake would he carry on? There's no one in your family by that name. So they used gestures to, to ask the baby's father, who happened to be who? Zachariah. This is, I guess this is when sign language began. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. I don't want to listen. I don't want to go back to the corner again, okay? No more silence. I mean, I know what he said. Okay, let's just go ahead. And, his name is John. You know, it was normal, and it's still normal today to name our kids after us, isn't it? Yeah. How many of you have children that are named after you or somebody within your family? Yeah. All of our kids have biblical names. Abby is my father's joy. Abigail, she, her middle name is Kristen, which comes from Meredith's middle name, Kristen. When Caleb was born, we gave Caleb the name Caleb because it means in the Bible, strong and courageous Caleb carries my middle name, which is also my father's middle name, Shepherd. Anna's middle name is Grace, which means something that we don't deserve. We'd had two kids, and so let's just have three. Let's have three. After going through 12 years of infertility, the third one, for some reason, seemed to be impossible. So we had worked and we had tried and we practiced, okay, trying to make things happen. <laughs> things just didn't seem to happen. So I remember on that Sunday night, we just said, God, listen, you've been so gracious to us. We never thought we'd have two. What a blessing. We're done. And we were at peace. And I remember sitting in my office. I don't remember if it was the next day. Was it the next day, Meredith? It wasn't long after that. So I'm, I'm sitting in the office. Where's Dottie? Is Dottie here this morning? I was sitting in the office at that time, and I get this phone call. It's about 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So Meredith's on the other line, and she said, where are you? I said, I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in the office, and Dottie, and she said, are you sitting down? I said, why don't you sit down for she said, well, she said, I got some news I need to share with you. I said, well, what's the news? She goes, well, I had an extra pregnancy test, and I just didn't want to waste it. <laughs> Go figure. And she says, it says I'm pregnant. So there's this line of silence. What do you mean you're pregnant? <laughs> I thought we said we were done. Can't you control this process? Anna is definitely God's grace to us because she, God gave us something that we couldn't deserve and we couldn't take care of on our own.
And here it is that Elizabeth and Zechariah would break the traditions and the expectations. And they would name that son, not Zechariah, but they would name him John. Regardless of what else, regardless of what the culture had to say, they would respond in faithfulness to God. And that's something that every one of us in here has to make a choice to do. I mean, he already knew what the angel told him. Listen, his name's going to be John, okay? And when he doubted, got sent to his room. He didn't want to have to go through that anymore. He understood and he knew in his time of contemplation and pondering what had taken place, he knew exactly who it was and who was speaking. And he goes on to say, in verse 64, instantly Zechariah, after, after his obedience, he could speak again, and he began praising God. And I love that. You circle that word awe. In verse 65, awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Let me just say this. When God shows up, you don't have to see it on CNN you don't have to see it on Fox News. It don't have to be on the, the Village Daily Sun. Listen, when God shows up, people begin to talk. That's just the way it is. When God does something, people begin to talk. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what in the world will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord will surely be upon him in a special way. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And man, listen at this. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and this is what Zechariah began to prophesy. And he said, let me tell you what's going to happen. And this is what he says. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David. He's coming. 400 years of silence. And out of his obedience, Zechariah declares, he's coming. He's coming. He goes on to say, um, just as he promised through the holy prophets long ago, all those things that you've read about, all those things that you've heard about, he's coming. He's coming. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He's coming. He's coming. He's been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant he is coming. The covenant he swore was an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear. He is coming. He is coming in his holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. The Messiah is coming. And you, and you, my little son, the one that we thought that we never would have, the one that we thought that God had maybe misheard us or had, had misinterpreted our, our prayers or maybe had forgotten our prayers or didn't hear what we were praying for, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will be the one that will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell the people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. And the reason for this salvation and forgiveness of sins is because of what? Because of your tender mercy. That's what he says. And the reason for salvation and forgiveness of sins isn't because of our works or because we deserve it, 
But it is all because of God's grace and his tender mercies. He's coming. He's coming. And six months after the birth of John, to Mary and Joseph would be born a child by the name of Jesus. And it goes on to say, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. And Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, John, grew up and became a strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. And so at Christmas, we aren't just celebrating the birth of a baby. What we're celebrating is the faithfulness of a heavenly father who's a promise keeper and who will bring it to pass. Will you pray with me today? Father, there's a lot that we find in your word when we read it. Man, there's, this is so rich to recognize and to understand that, God, in your grace and your mercy, that you used Zechariah and Elizabeth in their faithfulness to a generation that had become despondent and disillusioned because of your silence. And, Father, just as you use Zechariah and Elizabeth, you use us today into this world that's saying, when is Jesus coming back? You know, you say he's coming back. When's he coming back? And, Father, we are to live with an eager anticipation of faithfulness and courage and perseverance, believing that, listen, there's a time when Jesus is coming back. And you've called us as your children to not just give up, not to throw in the towel, not to wane in our faith, but, Father, to be encouraged and recognize and believe that God is a promise keeper. I pray for those of us that are in this building today that, that may be dealing with the issue of questioning God, questioning His motives, questioning His authenticity, questioning His abilities. And may we be reminded of the story of your faithfulness and your strength and your sovereignty as well as your grace and your mercy. Help us to hold on and not become overwhelmed. And yet for the person that is here that has never declared Jesus Christ as Lord, even today, in this day, we have an opportunity for us to cry out to you and say, Jesus, I've tried it all, but I've come to recognize that I'm nothing more than a sinner and I cannot save myself. But today I want to rest my faith in the fact of Jesus and the gospel and that he is a propitiation for my sins, that there was a payment that was paid for my sins when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And I don't have to live any longer under the bondage of sin, but I can live in the freedom of Christ. And if you're here today, even right there where you are, to, just to pray to yourself, God, forgive me. I acknowledge my sin. I confess my sin before you. I want to choose to follow you today. Thank you, Father, for the freedom that you give us, but also for the responsibility, the responsibility that we have to live to you, for you, and obedience in our daily 
walk. If there's someone here this morning that is that has prayed, Lord, just save me. I pray that even after our service today, you'll come see me and say, Sid, listen, man, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. Even though I don't understand it all, this is what I do understand. I understand that I'm at a place in my life that I've never been, and I want to submit my life, and I want to give control over to Jesus. That's what I want to do today. And if that's you, man, please come see me after this service. Write it on that card that's in the back of that of that pew, write it on that prayer. Today, I, I chose to, to, uh, to trust Jesus. Just write it on that card in the back of that pew because I want to make, make known, I want to be known about that. Father, I pray that as we walk out these doors today, Father, my prayer is that we would live with confidence that Jesus is a promise keeper for whatever issue we may be face, facing. Help us to be reminded, help us to be encouraged. And may we not only, um, Father, surround ourselves with others, help us, to be, help us to persevere in our faith and help us to be an encourager to others around us that may be struggling. Send us out as your ambassadors. Help us to impact this world in which we live. Because this is what we know. Not only has Jesus come, but the Scriptures tells that he is coming again. And may we as your children be faithful in sharing that message with great anticipation. Because you're a promise keeper. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.